You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. What I want to do today is I want to start in, as we start in chapter 22, and you can find this in your U version if you're following it on, on the app. But I want to start really by kind of creating a little bit of a setting for what our study is going to be today. So what we know from, if you've been kind of catching up with us these last weeks, what you know is we're in the last hours before Jesus will be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's come uh, together with those that are closest to him. Now the Jews at this time of year, they've made their pilgrimage to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and what they've done is they've come to gather for, for Passover, and it's also called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. If you're uh, with me in your scripture, in your very first verse, it says this. It says, now the festival of unleavened, uh, unleavened bread called Passover. Now, Passover, I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of history as we roll along, get you caught up a little bit. But Passover was what commemorated the slavery of the Israelites when they were being held in bondage in Egypt. And then Passover actually commemorates that great exodus, that ultimate exodus that was made to freedom. And it's a time when, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it's a time when God passed over the people in Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm prone to be a slow learner. I'm prone to be a slow learner. Now, in this particular part of passage, if you're, if you're reading Exodus like 1 through the 12th chapter, you're getting, the, getting all this history down. But what happened, God sent 10 different plagues to Pharaoh. Now, just think about these things that would be, if you're the leader, and these things happen to you. First, you had the plague of blood. And if you go back, you can read your own history about that. And then it was frogs. And it was, then it was lice, and then wild animals, pestilence, then there were boils, then there were fiery hail, then there was locusts, then there was darkness, and the guy still hadn't got it. So now comes this last of the plagues, the tenth of the plagues, which is the death of the firstborn. In Exodus 11, God told Moses, he said, this is what's going to happen. Near midnight, I'm going to come throughout Egypt, and I'm going to strike down the firstborn male of every family, and I won't stop there. I'm even going to kill the firstborn male animal as well. Now, if, you go, if you're in Exodus 12, I'm going to just read this. You don't necessarily have to go there, but this is what it says. It says, but the blood, and what they did is they took a one-year-old lamb or goat that was supposed to be without blemish, and they sacrificed that animal. They took that blood, and they said, but the blood on your doorpost will be a sign for your protection. When I see blood, I will pass over you. Nothing will touch you or destroy you when I strike Egypt. Now, you've heard what it was said, that he would pass over them as a result. So what they were to do is they were supposed to go out on their doorway and they were supposed to literally take some of the blood and even put it over the, the top of the door, the sides of the door, so when that, some people call it the death angel, God says, I'm going to come through there. 
But when he did that, he would pass over your place. Now, it also mentioned the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So very specifically, that's the feast that the Jewish people, when they came to Passover, that's, that's what they would do. Now, Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. If you were looking at the, at the calendar this year, you would find that the Jewish Passover occurs right before our Easter. Now, it, 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 the, this Feast of the Unleavened Bread then starts immediately on the 15th day of the month. That's when the feast would begin. Now, if you think about it, the Jewish day ran from sunset to sunset or twilight to twilight. So at Passover, you came together at twilight, and then you immediately joined together, and you had this Passover feast that was there. Now, what happened is the people that were in Egypt, they didn't have much time. It wasn't a deal where they said, okay, y'all plan on, say, January 1st. It's, it's June now, so go ahead and start getting your stuff ready. Have your stuff packed. You know, order some of that food that keeps forever. You know, be ready to go. That's not what happened. Because when this happened, it happened immediately. And so when, when they, this Feast of the Unleavened Bread meant that the Jews didn't have time even to, to roll the bread out, put the yeast in, set it out and let it rise so they could bake it. They didn't even have time to do that. They just kind of whipped up some stuff for the trip, didn't have time for it to rise. And so for seven days, what they would do in this Feast of the Passover in the unleavened bread, they would, for seven days, they would eat bread that was a symbol of the fact that they left in a hurry and reminded them that it doesn't have yeast, but that's exactly what their forefathers had gone through. So you're with me now in chapter 22. We're going to read it. We're going to cover some verses, but we'll do it quickly. Now the festival of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid, and this is a key, they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, and they agreed to give him money. He consented, and he watched for an opportunity to hand over Jesus to them when there was no crowd around. It always amazes me all the crazy stuff that happens in the dark. I don't know about you, but it's just the crazy stuff happens in the dark. If you just think about crime, the things that happen, you know, you just watch an episode of Cops, you know, day's pretty calm. You know, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, everybody goes crazy. Well, the same thing is you, as you think about this, what they wanted to do is they wanted to come at night when there was no crowd and they wanted to arrest him. They really wanted to do it kind of in a clandestine type of a thing. But it reminds me as I think about that, about all the crazy stuff, the stuff that happens. I mean, think about it. How many of you are afraid of the daylight? But some of you would have to admit, I'm pretty uncomfortable in the dark. If I go in a dark house by myself, you know, I'm kind of going, okay, I wonder what's behind this door, what's behind that door. But we start thinking about the dark because it, it, it has its own kind of a, I don't know, kind of an eeriness. But the reality is then you think about how Christians are painted. You know, we have dark over here. What are, how are Christians typically talked about in a word? 
What are we called? The light. We're called the light. And there's a contrast there for a reason. So we know that, that what happened is they set up a time, Judas did, to go meet these people and bring them and give them a sign so they could make that arrest. Then in verse 7 it says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They asked him the question, Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I got, I got to think it's kind of strange every once in a while because he tells people, well, go do this and go do that. You know, I, I think about the fact, you know, when uh, in what we call Palm Sunday, but the, that triumphal entrance when he came into Jerusalem, you know, the people met him with palm branches and all that. But what he told the, the, his disciples ahead of time, he said, I want you to go to a certain, certain place. I want you to find a colt never been ridden. I want you to find a colt that's tied up there, and I want you to untie him, and I want you to bring him to me. Now, in this case, what he t says is he says, I want you to go find a man who is carrying a jar of water. And he goes on in the scripture, he says, follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs. It'll be all furnished and make the preparations there. I don't know about you, but I think if I had been told to say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into town. I want you to look for a guy that's carrying a jar of water. Approach him. You don't know him. Approach him. And then once you, once you get his attention, I want you to say, hey, by the way, here's what we want to do. The teacher... You know, didn't call him Messiah, the teacher. He wants to come to your house, and he wants you to be the host. And what we're going to do is we want to have a big get-together at your house. You know, that'd be pretty awkward, I'd think. You know, because he, he would say, or I'd say, yeah, I'll probably get on that right away. That's probably what I'd say. Because I would think, what a strange request. But amazingly, Peter and John, they've been on the path now with him a while, and they did exactly as Jesus asked him to do. Verse 13, they left and they found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, and remember we talked about a while ago, when the hour came really would be twilight. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, that was their normal way of eating, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. To me, boy, that, I mean, I'm following this guy. I'm, you know, I'm attached to him at the hip. And I'm thinking, this is unsettling to me. This is confusing. You're telling me this stuff. I don't really get it, but it sounds like you're going away somewhere and you're not going to eat with us again. And you know, I, I, I got to think for them that had to be a very startling, alarming, and confusing time. In 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Now you have your communion serving with you if you're going to take communion with us this morning. If you're not accustomed to that in this church, understand that the only requirement we have is you're a believer. You don't have to, you know, belong to this church. You don't have to have placed your membership here. We only ask that you're a believer. But so I'd ask you to take that. And what you're going to find on the top of that is you're going to find a uh, way for you to just feel this top little deal back. And then once, once you've done that, you'll see that wafer is exposed. I can't help but think about what Dylan told me right before this. You've contaminated me, Dylan. He told me that when he sees this, he thinks about the Lunchables we put in our kids' backpacks for school, you know. But this, in fact, for us is, has a whole different meaning because all believers are welcome at this table. But it tells us in Scripture that we're, we're supposed to do this prayerfully and really, and, and really thinking about what we're doing. It's not supposed to be an act of just, I do it because everybody else does it. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to approach this figurative table prayerfully and with a clean heart. So let me read you what 19 says. And he said, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us, and we'll share that waiver. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Lord, we, do want, we want to approach you with all the humility that we can muster, Lord, because we understand the, the significance that you've told us that this is a symbol of the body, and you go on and you say, oh, by the way, this body was broken for you. And Father, we know that's a personal thing to us, that you would make that sacrifice. So Lord, as we, as we do this together as a body, as a body of Christ, Lord, again, we just thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us, just by the very fact of your sacrifice, to be able to participate together in Jesus' name. Just go ahead and take your wafer. Then it goes on and it says this, it says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now when we were reading a while ago, we talked about the fact that they were going to make a sacrifice and they were going to find that one-year-old goat, that one-year-old lamb, and they were going to make that sacrifice. But he's saying, this cup is the new covenant. Because he said, all those things that you've done before, those sacrifices you've made before, they were merely a substitute for the sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. And so he's telling us that this cup is, is a new covenant through Christ's death, through for the remission of our sins, his death on Calvary, which is poured out for you. Let me pray for our cup. Father, again, we, we ask you, Lord, if there's... If we're, if we're sitting here this morning and we're harboring bitterness and, and issues and strife, Lord, I ask, Lord, that it'll be a day that you help us just to release that because you want, to, you want us to come to you in a, in a manner which is clean and fresh and, and that symbol of the new start, this sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And Lord, we're so thankful. I can't imagine giving your son for people like us and Lord, you know, we're not deserving. You know, we're saved literally by grace. We thank you for that, and we thank you for the sacrifice that you saw fit to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.
He goes on in 21 then, and he says, But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. Talks about going, of course, this is talking. He's now starting to prophesy about the arrest. But, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who is going to do this. You can see in other gospel writers, like in Matthew, Judas actually, Matthew says that Judas actually made the comment, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Of course, he was guilty, right? Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus said, you have said so. The next verse seems to me, it seems to me almost like a normal dinner conversation with the young family. A dispute rose in verse 24. It said, a dispute arose among them as to which would be considered to be the greatest. I don't know about you, but you know, you get these little squabbles at home and kind of reminds me of that. And then all of a sudden, the parent enters, which is Jesus here. He said, okay, guys. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves the benefactors. If you stop and think about really the, the benefactors is really, you think about the root word, what is a benefit? So what it's saying that these people that lorded over the other people, they see themselves as the benefactors. We've been gracious enough to lead you. You know, we've gone out of our way to be good to you and to help you and provide for you and set up rules for you. He said, those who exercise authority over, over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, or your version may say the least. You see, I believe what Jesus is pointing out to him very appropriately is he's, he's telling them that I'm going to explain to you again. I'm going to, I'm at this last little bit of stuff I get to share with you. And I'm going to explain to you again a couple of very important things. And one of those is how you're to conduct your lives and conduct yourself. And how you're supposed to do it, you're supposed to do it to serve. To not be like the kings, he said, to not be like the kings and the Pharisees setting he, what he was trying to do is set the course for the disciples because what he wants him to do, he said, I want you to see this as servanthood. That's what you are. This, you, you should see this as servanthood. And, you know, it, it wasn't unique to that time. You just think about the human nature that we have and how much it is, you know, because so many of the things we do, regardless of how much we fight them, they still get right around, well, what's it mean to me and what's it done to me and how does it impact me? Thinking that it is all about us sometimes. It's a great self-inventory in these scriptures, in my opinion, doing this in just the privacy of your own mind. Do I approach my life as a servant? Do I do that? Do I approach my life as a servant? Or am I more interested and more oriented about the things that are important to me and people serving me instead of me serving others? I've, I've, I've always loved the fact when we... It took us a while, but when we arrived at this mantra that you see over here, love God, love others, serve both, I, I, I just am always reminded how appropriate that is, and it's appropriate to this scripture. 
because he, what he's saying, he's not saying anything, but we are, in fact, to be involved in this process of servanthood. And then it goes on and it says, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves them? See, it's a completely different mindset than our world because who would believe that the greater, you know, would be that most of us would. We'd believe the greater is the one seated at the table. It's the one being served. It's the one that's in the front. Scripture talks about being aware that we don't take somebody who we think is important and then we escort them to the front of the church and say, yeah, I don't, John, I know this is you and Betty's seat, but I need you to slide over a little bit because we got the mayor here in town or whoever it is. But we've got somebody that's important and they need to sit right here. We need to give them those best seats. And oh, by the way, you know, when you come up to the building, well, don't park here because that's the official's parking place here. But see, that's how life, that's how, how our society is oriented around those things. But he goes on to say, is it not the one who is at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. So Jesus is actually doing the serving. He's, he's modeling this servanthood to him. He said, he said, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And this is important. He said, and I, can, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me. Break it down a little bit. Conferring is really just responsibility. And what he's saying is that when I came here, God gave me responsibility for this kingdom on earth that will become the kingdom of God. And he said, guess what? This is the last of my time here. That's what he was saying in so many words. But he was, he was telling them that now I'm conferring what God conferred on me. I am now conferring on you. I'm giving you that responsibility. It's sobering to think that as believers, that's who we are. Those responsibilities have now been conferred on us. We now have that responsibility to be the servants, to be the, the leaders with a small L, to be the ones that testify. In verse 30, it goes on, it says, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he turns to Simon. In our scripture, it's Peter, as you know it. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as the wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and when you've turned back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Boy, it sounds a lot like prophecy, doesn't it? Can you imagine being Peter sitting there and he said, Satan has asked me to sift you like wheat. You know, he's telling him, he's prophesying, you know, you're going to have some issues here. But when you turn back, your job is to strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, and many of you that have done some studying realized what he told him. He said, he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to the prison. I'm ready to go with you to the death. I am your man. I am in. And Jesus answered him. He said, I told you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you know me. So I want to give you a few things just to kind of summarize and for you to consider taking home with you today. 
So we know that we're in these final days of Jesus' time here on earth. And what he's doing is he's modeling for us with these disciples, and he's modeling one of the things he, he chose to do. Again, just think, this is, he just has a little time, and he knows it. He knows what's going to happen. He sees it. And so what he, what he chooses to do, one of the things he chooses to do is he chooses to break the bread and have the cup and try to explain to them what those are emblems and symbols of that we still practice today. He didn't say, you know, guys, we just have a little time left. I think what we ought to do is I think we ought to go to the gym, shoot some hoops, just spend some time together, maybe grab a beer. That wasn't what he said. He said, I have a little time left, and I want to impress on you with whatever these final nuggets I can share with you. And he's telling us that this communion is important. It's not com important because of the Lunchables here. It's important because what it represents, it re represents Christ's body and his blood. Whenever we take it, now or in the future, we should really think about the impact that communion has, and that was so important to him that that was something he did with them in that last time of intimacy. Obviously, it was of great importance to him, to them, and should be to us. He went on to tell them, he said, my body will soon be broken for you and my blood will be spilled so that you can be seen as clean and pure. That's what he was telling them. They didn't get it yet, but that's what he's saying is, my body will be broken for you, my blood will be spilled for you so that you can be clean and pure in the eyes of God. And what's going to happen is, when that happens, with the remission of the sins and the fact that I'm making this sacrifice for you, the reality is, is your, your sins, you can be washed white as snow. What a great thing, because I don't know, but I, I, I suspect every single one of us is something, has, they've gone beyond the dumb stuff, we've done stupid stuff in our life. And in reality, he's saying, you know, I am not concerned about your past, I am concerned about your future. He was also saying that besides your sins being wiped away, comes with this, this great package of grace which is called eternity. Because although you may transition from this life to the eternal life, the reality is you will live eternally with me. And then the part that a lot of times we miss, I think, as Scripture tells us in other places, that when, when, we, when we're a part of that body, it tells us that we can live life abundantly. Okay, got that? What's abundantly? Abundantly, I mean, that's a lot, right? For living it to the full, living it to the max. Have bad days, you bet, but bad days don't last, not if you're, not if you're a follower. But he's saying, I want you to understand your sins will be washed away. You'll live life more abundantly. And, oh boy, you get to live it eternally. So what I'd ask you to do is to consider where you are with the Lord. Do you... Do you do your personal inventory. Where are you with him? If you haven't made a commitment that it's not just like kind of head stuff, but it's heart stuff, it's a good time for you to make it. Because Peter went on, he denied Jesus three times. We read about that. It's in the annals of history. Hardly anybody doesn't know that story. But he denied him three times. And see, we have the same opportunity because what we can do is we, we make a decision 
Will we accept Christ or will we reject him? That's the important part of the story. You have a choice. Do we accept him or do we reject him? Years ago, years ago, I was with two of my friends and we were in a small flat bottom boat on the way out to duck hunt in the morning. No engine, paddles, way overloaded, had way too many decoys. You know, we're running about just this far off of the water heading for about 200 yards out into the lake to where we were supposed to go. And so, you know, we're kind of clipping along when we run into some wind. And if you know about a flat bottom boat, usually the front seat is actually, you got to sit backwards. It's really not even made to sit in, but we were. And he's kind of sitting backwards and he gets his rear wet a little bit because a wave lapped up over the front. That's how low we were running. And so being 14 year olds like we were, he says, paddle faster, paddle faster. And so he did, you know, and of course all that did is just drive the nose down in the water and we start seeing the water come in. We've got thermos jugs floating. We've got winter clothes on. We've got decoys starting to float off. We've got our shotguns trying to keep them dry. Fortunately, when we sunk, we were in probably three or three and a half feet of water. Now, my friend and I, we had, there's three of us, my friend and I, we got up and we started trying to figure out, okay, we're on the bottom, so we get up and we're starting to figure out how to grab all the stuff that's trying to float off in the wind so we can take it on to the duck blind with us. But our other friend stayed in the boat. He's sitting in the boat. The boat's on the bottom and the water's about right here on him. And I remember him holding his shotgun up above his head like this. And he's, you know, he's just, he's just puzzled by what he's going to do next. And we finally said, hey, get out of the stinking boat. You can stand up here. Help us get a hold of this stuff. And so then he realized, okay, I can do that. And he got up and he stepped out of the boat and he started to help. So that's a, that's a protracted story to tell us that so many of us stay in the stinking boat. Rather than get up and get busy, start to impact other people's lives, give testimony about things in our life, what we do is we stay in the boat. We stay where it's comfortable. We stay in a situation where, well, I don't really want to say too much to them. I, I, what if I experience rejection in my life? I know, but it's cold, and I'll have to go outside if I go to worship today, whatever the things are. But the reality, what I would encourage you to do, it's part of that rejection thing we talked about. I would encourage you, you have a choice to accept Christ and live for him, or you can reject him. You have a choice to continue as a believer to just stay in the boat, let people serve you, and move on with life. But what I'll tell you, if you make that choice, you won't really experience the abundance that Scripture talks about. Bow your heads with me as our praise team comes to close us out. Father, we do thank you today that uh, you've brought us together in this time. Lord, uh, we're called for just a time as this. Sometimes we look around and, and we think about all the people, the illnesses, the confusion, the state of our government, the arguments, all the stuff that's here. But Lord, you've brought us as a, for a time like this to be together, to be witnesses to your word. And Father, I pray that for each of us that we'll make a decision 
don't stay in the boat. Get out of the boat. Live life abundantly. Don't reject the great benefit that's been given to us as believers in Jesus. And they all said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.